Welcome to CUCC's Sermons for Everyone. No matter who you are or where you find yourself on life's journey, we're glad you've tuned in, and we hope you find meaning in this week's sermon. Friends, I got to tell you, I am excited to be picking back up where we left off in our journey through the Bible. Believe it or not, we started in the beginning of the beginning, right? At Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, three years ago, this very same weekend. And now we're about to start the seventh book in the Bible. We're making progress. We got a lot of books still to cover. We're going to have fun doing it. Over the last three years, we have read some amazing stories. We have read some amazingly odd stories. And we've also read some problematic stories, right? Truly problematic stories that have forced us to ask hard questions about God, about the Bible, about humanity. Here's what I can tell you about the book of Judges. We're going to end up doing a, a lot of the same. Right, there are some absolute classics in this book, like Samson and Delilah, and there are some shocking stories. The headlines from the book of Judges reads more like a, a tabloid. Family feud leads to 69 brothers dead. Powerful political leader caught in love nest. Left-handed assassin kills morbidly overweight king without being detected. Multiple girls kidnap at a house party and forced to marry strangers. And as you well know, we're going to read all of it. Not because we like tabloids, uh, but because these are human stories. These are sacred stories. Stories that were meticulously recorded and passed down for thousands of years so that we might learn something, right? Something about God, something about ourselves, something about the world. For parents of Sunday school-aged kids, don't worry. When we get to some of the more problematic stories, we will find tasteful and age-appropriate ways to have parallel conversations with the kids. We want them to, to grow up knowing these stories, to, to journey with us so that, so that you can talk to them about what they're learning and, and talk to them about what you're learning. Friends, we are in this together. And as we read these ancient stories, we become in this with all of those who have come before us. And so let's have some fun with it. Let's jump right in. If you remember back to the spring, we read the book of Joshua. And we finished with Joshua's farewell speech, his mountaintop address where he reminded the Israelites of, of God's love and faithfulness. He challenged them to keep the stories alive, to care for each other, and, and to remain connected to God and, and true to the covenant they had made with each other. And then finally, at the age of 110, we read, we read that Joshua, the son of Nun, the Lord's servant, died in the promised land. And that's where the book of Judges picks up. In fact, the first chapter overlaps. It retells some of the, the military victories. And so we're going to jump in, Judges chapter 2, 
starting in verse 6. When Joshua dismissed the people, the Israelites each went to settle on their own family property in order to take possession of the land. The people served the Lord throughout the rest of Joshua's life and through the generation of elders who outlived him, those who had seen all the great things that the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, Nun's son and the Lord's servant, died when he was 110 years old. They buried him within the boundaries of his family property in, in the highlands in Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. When that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation came after them who didn't know the Lord or the things the Lord had done for Israel. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. It's quite the statement about the next generation of Israelites, isn't it? When the generation who followed Joshua crossed the Jordan River, marched right up to the walls of Jericho and, and settled in the Promised Land, when they had passed away and joined their ancestors in rest, we read that the next generation didn't even know the Lord, didn't know the stories of the Lord or what God had done. It's remarkable how quickly things can change. It almost makes you angry. It's a, a tragedy to see the sacred stories left untold, to have a nation's history forgotten so quickly, a covenant with God just cast aside. And, and we'll get there soon enough, but spoiler alert, things don't go well for this generation. Right? They get caught in an ugly cycle of self-destructive behavior. It's like throughout the book, you can almost hear the ancestors rolling over in their graves. What's wrong with this generation? Don't they get it? Don't they know how much we sacrificed for them? Have they no respect for the history and traditions? Is nothing sacred to them? And be easy to draw similar comparisons with the state of religion in America. Right, Gallup has been actively measuring attendance in houses of worship since 1937. And get this, from 1937 to 1999, ironically, the year we built this new building, attendance in churches, synagogues, and mosques remained remarkably consistent, hovering right around 70% of the U.S. population. That's a lot. But get this, since 1999, there's been rapid decline. In fact, last year, attendance in houses of worship dropped below 50% for the first time. And churches have experienced a much greater share of that decline than synagogues and mosques have. Six decades of, of consistent attendance, and in the last 20 years, an unprecedented 20% fall off. I'm no mathematician, but I don't think that's sustainable. Right? And so what's wrong with this next generation? 
Don't they get it? Don't they know how much was sacrificed for them? Have they no respect for the history and tradition? Is nothing sacred to them? It's one way to look at it. I'd suggest withholding such assumptions because there's always stuff behind the stuff, right? There's often a story behind the story. And so a little heads up, I'm about to play with the Bible. I'm going to read between the lines a little bit. I'm going to ask some questions of the Bible that are ultimately unanswerable. And you see, I do this dance with the Bible, not from a place of certainty or authority, but from a a place of, of guided human curiosity. I like to poke prod and ponder the lesser explored parts of these stories to help us find ourselves in the pages. So if you'll remain open to the process and join me, let's see what we might find together. We begin with a question. What might have contributed to an entire generation not really knowing God or the stories of God and their ancestors. Well, I guess option one is they could simply be a generation of disrespectful, egocentric halfwits who were just born in the promised land and don't know any better. An entitled generation that simply can't wrap their minds around the acts that God had to do in order to rescue them from slavery. Or maybe they just don't get it. They're too busy enjoying them big grapes to find time for God. That's an option, I guess. But what if there was more to it? You see, the generation that preceded them, the ones that followed Joshua into the promised land, they were soldiers, warriors, conquerors of a people and a place that didn't see them coming. And I don't want to dig up all the past, but, but when the walls of Jericho came tumbling down, they killed everyone, women, children, the elderly, livestock even, they, they burned it to the ground over and over. They claimed the promised land through violence and war. And I wonder, might that generation be justified in not wanting to tell all of the stories? Might that generation be justified in needing a hot second before firing up the revival songs and teaching their children about the loving and faithful God who led them into battle? Might that generation even have been a little confused themselves as to where the God of war ends and the God of love begins? or after experiencing all that war and violence as children, might the next generation be justified in being a little cynical or skeptical of the stories? Right, after watching their parents kill in the name of a loving God, might that generation be justified in creating some space, distance between themselves and the stories of how they became owners of cities they did not build? managers of vineyards that they 
did not plant. Now, like I, I said, this, it, it's a dance we do with the Bible. I would uh, never assume to know everything that contributed to a generation taking a step back from the tribal religion of their ancestors, but I'm willing to bet that it's complicated, that there are multiple layers to this onion. Sure, they might simply be unpatriotic and not very religious, but might there be more to their distancing than, than simply laziness and entitlement? As a young pastor, I've chosen to place myself at the intersection of the history and traditions of the church and the future of the church. I've both studied the last 2,000 years of church history in depth, and I'm constantly thinking about what the next 30 years might hold. As I observe trends and talk with pastors around the country, I've got to tell you, I don't blame anyone for not going to church. I know, I don't. But before you call a congregational meeting to have me removed, let me explain. It's not because I don't see value in the church. I obviously do, or else I wouldn't be here every week and do what I do. I clearly see value in what we do here. But I'd never blame someone for not going to church because I would never expect someone to do something or to attach themselves to something that they don't see value in. If less people are finding a home in the church, that simply means that less people are finding real value in the stories, the songs, and all the stuff that goes with it. And so, instead of questions like, what's wrong with the next generation? Don't they get it? Have they no respect for history? Tradition is nothing sacred to them. I think the far more interesting question is, is what is it about the church that's made it seem 20% less relevant? 20% less helpful? 20% less valuable to those who still find themselves living in the shadow of the steeples? Have there been moments when the church has refused to stand up for what was right, what was loving, what was just? Have there been moments where the church caused harm to the vulnerable instead of protecting them? Have there been moments when the, the moral compass and the shared values of secular society have actually seemed more loving than the ones being taught in the name of God? And I know these aren't easy questions to ask, but truthfully, easy questions are overrated and generally boring. And so for just a moment, I, I invite you to, to try to forget the cultural nuances of the next generation. Try to forget that there's a need for a more religious and rigorous education. When it comes to the next generation, picking up the journey and retelling the stories, I'm fully convinced that the only question that matters is are we currently living a life worth talking about? Now let that sink in for a second. 
it doesn't matter how good the food is, how good the music or the programs are. When it comes to the next generation finding value in faith and taking time to preserve the stories of old, the only question that matters is are we as a church, as individuals, as parents, as grandparents, are we writing a story that's compelling enough to be passed on? People don't reject love. People don't reject the divine. People reject the way love and God are spoken about, the way love and God are embodied, are brought to life. I think it's way too easy to blame the ones who become disinterested, but the real question is what is it about the stories that we tell and the way we live out their truths that make them seem disinteresting, uninspiring, forgettable. We can't just force people to tell stories, to turn in pledge cards, to become champions of the traditions of the church. We gotta give them something worth talking about. And this goes beyond the church, right? It's true of of, of anything we want to pass on, any core values we want to instill in our children, our grandchildren, our students, or really anyone that looks up to us. If the lessons we teach and the stories we tell of our lives are not in alignment with the way we actually live our lives, we all know that that those stories aren't going to be remembered. In fact, they'll likely cause the next generation to do the exact opposite. Because right? when the plot of a story is not in alignment with its own internal core values, it's no longer a compelling story. It's a cautionary tale of who not to become, of what not to do. And, and so I wonder when they tell the story of the last five years, what will they say? When they tell the story of us, our community, what will they say? They might tell of several pastoral transitions. They might tell of Pride Sundays, outdoor services, frigid candle-lit moments. They might talk about lightning strikes, about Lenten potlucks, United Fall Fests, and, and all church campouts. But what will the next chapter contain? What will they say next? I hope they say that we radically put love of God and love of neighbor above everything else. I hope they say that we were a safe and welcoming place where everyone, 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 an extra everyone for a fall kickoff was welcome to the table, was, was treated as a beloved child of God, I hope they say we made a difference in the world. We made a difference uh, in the lives of, of the people at Lazarus House, the people in Biloxi, Mississippi, the lives of refugees that we helped settle and adjust to their new surroundings. I hope they say that we put our money where our mouth was, that we invested in ourselves and in others. I hope they say we did everything we could to bring glory to God and and goodness to the world. 
Honestly, friends, the competitive side in me hopes that we give them so many stories that it pushes them to try to outlove us. But the greater challenge is picking which amazing story of worship, of welcome, and of justice they're going to tell. And so instead of looking for ways to convince, right, to trick guilt or shame people to church, we simply get to work and give the world something to talk about. And so join us as we read some remarkable stories from the book of Judges. Some are gonna be compelling, some are gonna be cautionary, but in them all, we will search for meaning. Over the next 10 weeks, might we learn from the book of Judges, and might we find ourselves inspired to live lives that are worth telling. Amen.